Good morning, everybody. I mean, I know there's only like 15 of us here, but still, we can still talk to each other. Uh, but it, it, all joking aside, it is nice to, uh, to be with everyone this morning as we, uh, we're only two days away from Christmas as we're celebrating this Advent season, and it's such a joy and excitement to, to be here with y'all, and uh, even as our family has only been here for a few months for us to uh, just feel part of this church family, and so we thank you uh, from our family, but I thank you for, for joining us uh, this morning. This morning we're continuing in the Advent series uh, as we are celebrating the, the birth of Christ and the, uh, the remembrance of this gift that, that God has given to His people and to the world. And this morning we're focusing, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're focusing on the joy of Advent and, and what this means for the believer. And, uh, and to be painfully honest, it could be very easy to look around and to not feel joy when you look at everything that's going on, going on in the world, but even your own life. I mean, you just look at this, the, the cultural repetitive news cycle and the fact that we're in the, the midst of a, a partial government shutdown yet again, and there's constant bitterness between who you vote for, if you're Republican or Democrat, or the people that refuse to choose either side, or uh, there's this constant push of, of racial tension, which is there, uh, but it seems like the, the media almost incites people to make uh, uh, racial divisions even larger than they already are. Uh, and then the, the constant reminder of, uh, or at least the, the focus in the news of the, this attack on the middle class and the, the separation between the, the haves and the have-nots. And that's just the news. Then you add in the stress of your own daily life. And uh, there's uh, work schedules or school. And, you know, for those of you that are in school, at least you have a couple of weeks off. But there's still the tension of you're going to have to go back. And then there's tests and homework and everything else. And then there's relationships. And not just family relationships, but for those of you that are single, maybe you long to be in a relationship. Or maybe you're in a relationship and it's falling apart and you're struggling to hold on and keep everything together. And then there's just the daily decisions of, of what, are you, what are you going to do, not just this day, but from here on out. For those of you, the, the younger ones, that is, as you're starting to get to the point where you're, you're going to start looking for college, and it's a huge decision. And are you going to take on student debt? For the whole, we're supposed to be joyful. Again, we're in the Christmas season where we're, we're told we're supposed to be joyful, but we end up getting stressed out by family get-togethers and the uh, all-too-often debt of getting Christmas presents for family members. And for those of you that are in social media, you have to make everything Instagram perfect. You've got to have just the right family photo and use the right film, but you have to make everything look like you are joyful, even if on the inside you're crying out for help. And it's easy, if it's just one or two of those things, to shrug it off and say, you know what, that's not such a big deal. But these stresses and distractions in our life compound and pile up. And they begin to cloud the joy that we have been given. And for some of you here, maybe you forget even what joy is supposed to look like, what it feels like 
to be filled with joy. And then we come to this passage in Luke 1, known as the Magnificat. It's the the song of praise that Mary gives uh, when she has been told that she's going to have a baby. In fact, it literally uh, translates from the Latin, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's the name of this song. And we read through it in the stress of our daily life, and far too often we just plow right through it, thinking, oh, that sounds nice, that's a great Christmas passage, but it doesn't really mean much. But for a moment, I want you to remember the situation that Mary is, that she's in herself. Because when she is betrothed to Mary Joseph, culturally, it's expected that she's about 14 or 15 years old. Imagine that, being 14 or 15 years old and being betrothed to be married. I'm 38 and I I make mistakes all the time. I can't believe being a teenager and getting married. And she's in the midst of this shame and honor culture where your entire reputation is built upon uh, your name and who you are and what you have done. And for the situation that she is in, that she is not yet married and she is told that she is going to have a child, the shame that that brings upon her and her family and her name is intense. And it's very likely that she was a a social outcast at least until the time that Jesus was born. And so there's this stress compounded upon that. And this angel comes to her and says that you will have a son And his name will be Jesus. And she doesn't reply with shame or anger. She doesn't say, well, what is everyone going to think about me? Or how am I going to get through this? No, no. Her response is, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Amidst all the stress and everything, the terrifying news that is, that is just been heaped upon her, and she says, I am a servant of the Lord. And in fact, she even goes a step beyond and sings this song of joy in the midst of all her stress and fear. She sings. And she doesn't sing, sing any song. She sings a song of joy that echoes uh, great psalms such as Psalm 130, uh, almost even mimicking uh, the, the structure of Psalm 130 of praising God and going through a, a history lesson of God's goodness to his people. And so we look at this passage this morning amidst all of the fear and distractions and chaos of life, and I would, I would argue that this passage is telling us that every believer can have joy. Not just sappy, fake, make-believe masks that we put on and everyone says, oh, well, how are you doing this Christmas? Oh, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Have you ever heard that phrase? kind of grates my skin every time I hear it. But it's one of those things where it just, it sounds fake. That's not the joy that this is talking about. This isn't one of those like VBS songs where like, I've got joy down in my heart. No, this isn't like this, this joy that you just, it, that sounds sappy and saccharine and make-believe. This is eternal, spirit-filled joy that is at the core 
of the believer. It's at the heart of the faith of the believer. It's a joy that when your life is filled with chaos and everything feels like it's falling apart, that you can still say, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And this joy that we see in this passage is because of three things. First, in, Psalm, or in verses 46 through 49, it's because of God's character. And secondly, in verses 50 through 53, it's because of God's condescension. And thirdly, in verses 54 through 55, it's because of God's covenant. Let's pray before we go any further. Gracious God, we come to you this morning uh, confessing our stress and our distractions, the things that we far too often put in front of joy, the things that we put in front of you. And we come before your throne this morning and we ask that you would destroy the things that we put in your way. We ask that you would pour your spirit in this place that you would speak through me to speak your gospel truth. That this wouldn't just be a feel-good Christmas Advent sermon, but God, that this would be your word that brings life. Speak to us now. And we pray this in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. So first we look at how God's character brings joy in verses 46 through 47. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The, the word there for magnifies, uh, in other translations, I don't know what, what you prefer to read, but it's translated uh, as magnifies or exalts or glorifies. And it's not just, well, I'm going to make it bigger. It's this sense of, I'm going to lift it up on high so everyone can see how good this thing is that I'm talking about. And specifically, she's talking about, I, my soul, I'm going to magnify the Lord. Her innermost being, everything within her is saying, look at who God is. She's not even talking about what God has done yet. She begins by saying, look at who God is. Look at him because he is God. In fact, we see a, a, an echo of this in, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 6 when, when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. He begins by saying, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. That for Jesus Himself, God in the flesh, prayer begins by saying, God, You are holy. That for the believer, the core tenet of where our faith and joy comes from, comes from the character of God being a holy God. And that's where Mary begins by looking at God and His holiness. And it hurts to ask a little because I'm asking myself the same question, but can you say the same thing in your own prayer life? Do you begin approaching God by reflecting on who He is in His holiness? 
When you come to church on Sunday mornings, do you come expecting and longing to worship God because He is holy? In the midst of struggle and chaos, when life hits, do you stop to remember God and His holiness? Is the holiness of God even on your radar? Because the the honest tendency is in our human nature, we want to look at ourselves. I know that's what I want to do, when, especially when, when frustration and, and life hits. I want to look at myself and the things that I can try to do better or the things that I need to pick up the slack on or things like that. And it's far too easy for me to take my focus off of God and His character. And I want to look at myself. But look what Mary does in the next verse. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She could have easily focused on herself. She could say, God has done this to me, and look at what I am going to do for him. She could have easily made this amazing moment all about her because that is human nature that is our tendency that's that is what you and i want to do we want to take these blessings that god has given us and say look at what i am doing and she says no he has looked on me he has done this and holy is his name she focuses on the character of god A God who looks upon His people, particularly the people in humble estate, as she says it. The people who cannot help themselves. Those are the ones that God is passionate about. She focuses on the character of a mighty God and a holy God. That her joy begins by remembering the character of God. Because what God does is rooted in who He is. I want you to think back for a moment to Exodus chapter 3, if you're familiar with your Old Testament. When Moses is speaking to God through the burning bush, and Moses is trying to throw out every excuse on why he can't do it, and finally he gets to the point where he says, well, who who am I going to say sends me? Because no one's going to trust just me. And God says, actually, I'm going to read this so that way I, I don't get this wrong. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God does not appeal to what he has done. He does not appeal to, to saying, uh, well, you know, I'm, say that the God of creation has sent you. Say that the God that, that made all of mankind has sent you. No, God says, I am has sent you. The very fact that He is and He exists, that is the core quality that God is saying, that's who's sending you. God didn't appeal to His work or His power. He appealed 
to who He is. Because who God is is reflected in what He does. When's the last time you looked at life in general and just said, wow, there's no one else like our God? Have you ever looked around at your life and thought that? And honestly, there might be people here this morning that are even questioning, well, what is so different about this God? Why would I even want to consider this God? And those are valid questions to ask. Because if you don't ask those questions, you never get answers. But at this point, Mary moves from God's character and begins looking at God's condescension. And some of you might be thinking, well, that just sounds bad, that God condescends. But usually our, our cultural context for this is, is a very demeaning manner, but I actually looked this up on the dictionary to get the exact de- definition, and it is a voluntary descent from one's rank or dignity in relations with an inferior. The fact that the Creator Himself is interacting with creation. The Holy One who spoke everything into existence, getting involved in the existence that He created is a condescension. Not a demeaning condescension, but the fact that He is above all and is speaking into and interacting with what He has made. That's what we see here. is a holy God getting involved with creation. And so Mary gives a brief history lesson recap of the Old Testament. Looking through the next few verses, and His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. She begins by looking at what, has, what God has done through the history of His people. And you can read through these verses and, and it brings up imagery of the, the conquests of Joshua or the time of the judges where God is instilling these leaders to lead His people. Or where God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. That specifically brings up images of the Tower of Babel. Uh, yeah, the Tower of Babel. I almost said Babylon, very different place. But the Tower of Babel in, in Genesis uh, 11, that the people came together and in their pride saying, we are going to build a tower to the heavens to look and see what we have done. And God comes down and He scatters the people in their pride. In verse 52, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. I don't know about you, but for this, this, this brings up imagery of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4. This king who has conquered everything that he sees around him, and he takes great pride in what he has done. And God says, repent, or you're going to be like the beasts of the field. And Nebuchadnezzar, in his pride, does not repent. And, and according to Scripture, since the next seven seasons as an animal eating grass and roaming on his hands and knees. 
that He brings down the powerful from their thrones. And He exalts those of humble estate. Like Esther. Being brought from this position of being a nobody to being a queen. And using that position to bring grace and mercy to her people. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich He has sent away empty. This is God caring for His people in the wilderness. Providing manna out of nothing and protecting them from their enemies. In these short few verses, Mary gives a a history lesson of God's people and says God has always been there for His people. And I'm going to give you a quick grammar nerd moment because there's an... There's something that we just don't see in the English here. But reading through this in the Greek, there's actually a verb tense called the aorist active indicative. And you don't need to know that. That's okay. Your life will not change for knowing that or not. But there's a certainty to that verb tense saying that this isn't something that could have happened. This is something that has happened with certainty. This is not a hypothetical situation that maybe God did this. But the way that she speaks of these things, she's saying these are true events in history that God has accomplished and done for His people. She's saying God stepped into creation and did these things. And so she's trusting that God will do what He has said for her. And the way that she can speak about the certainty of what God has done by condescending to His people and interacting with creation, with that same certainty, she knows that God will be with her and for her. That God did this throughout history. He will do this now. And He will be with me in the future. I look back on my own life and I can't help but think of those times growing up a, an only child of a, a, a divorced family and I longed for things like family, our belonging, and God brought people into my life to give me those things. The friends in my life, the, the mentors in my life. John Schley over at Metro North was my youth pastor when I was in high school. And he taught me the things that a father should teach a son. How to treat your wife. How to love your kids. How to change the oil in your car. How to, how to plug a tire. Things like that that my dad was never there for me, but God brought these people into my life. Are the times where I look back and think about when we had bills due. And we were terrified of how are we even going to make it through this month. And all of a sudden... The money, the exact amount that we needed was provided without us even asking for it. That God used the people around us to bless us. Are the times where in my discouragement I would pray longing for encouragement and that very day that God would send someone speaking truth into my heart and to my life without even knowing that I was so desperately asking for it. And I look back in my life and I see those things that God certainly did. 
And so I look at the struggles that we have now. Being parents of four children and trying to establish a a root system here in the Charleston area. And I look at our struggles and I say, God has shown up every time in the past. And I'm confident that He will show up again and He will be with us in the future. Not because I've done anything to earn it, but because that is the character of who God is. And so I want, you to, I want to ask you, what is your aorist active indicative? What are the things that have happened in your past that are the reminders of God showing up in your life at the time that you needed it most? Because that's the character of who God is and the way that He condescends to His people that He steps into the chaos of your life. And He is there. He's been providing for His people throughout history. He's providing for you now. And His promise is that He will be with you. And that is where the joy for the believer comes from. And knowing that this is a holy God who interacts and condescends to His creation. Because that's what God does. It's part of His character. It's part of His condescension. But you can find joy because of God's covenant in the last two verses that He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. For those of you that might not be familiar with your, your Old, Test, Old Testament covenant history, God spoke to Abraham, or Abram actually, three specific times in Genesis. Genesis 12, 15, and 17. And I encourage you to go back at some point and read, read through the covenant that God gives to Abraham. But to briefly summarize, He says, I'm going to take you Someone uh, in, your, in your old age with no children at all, and you are going to have children like the stars of the sky, and the nations will be blessed because of you and your offspring. And this is the, the, the covenant that God establishes with Abram, and it extends from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and to His sons who become the twelve tribes of Israel. And from there it goes from from Moses to the conquests of of Joshua, to the the judges, to, to David establishing a kingly, godly rule over God's people. And from David's line of kings, there's the promise of the true king who will come to reign forever. And that is why we are celebrating Advent. Because the Advent season is meant to remember the birth of the King who came to reign forever. That the birth of the baby Jesus is the fulfillment of that covenant promise of the blessing to the nations, of the true King that will come. It's the promise of a God who will not abandon His people. These covenant promises are met in the birth of Christ. That God in the flesh 
is the ultimate condescension of a creator to his creation. That he becomes part of creation itself. That this God does not just speak into creation. He comes down and becomes part of creation to take the sins of His people that they could not pay for themselves. To give His people His righteousness. And to make them children of God. This is what Paul is writing about in Romans chapter 9 when he says, this means that it is not the children of the flesh meaning Abraham's blood descendants. It is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. That to be a child of God isn't just limited to being of the the bloodline of Abraham, but because of His bloodline that led to the birth of Jesus, that anyone who looks on Him and believes is counted as a child of God. And so this Advent season, and every Advent season, we pause to reflect on the birth of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who came to live among His creation, who was crucified, dead, and buried, and rose again on the third day. To fulfill the covenant promise made to Abraham generations ago. And that is the joy of the generations that Mary is singing about. The joy that God has given to His people from generation to generation that even today we are celebrating. That this isn't just a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's not just about giving and receiving presents or having a few extra days off of work or school. But that we come together to remember the joy of a God who promises to be with His people and fulfills His promises. This is the believer's joy. Your hope and your peace of a God who keeps His covenant promises and calls you His child. And so this morning, I want you to take your fears and your struggles and your doubts and your insecurities and to stop and think, what are your eyes focused on? Are they focused on the struggles themselves? What you have to do to overcome them? Or even your inability to overcome them in your own strength? Or are your eyes focused on a holy God who condescends to His people in a loving way, who keeps His covenant promises through the birth, and desire- the birth, the death, and the resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. Which one will it be? Let us pray. Gracious, loving, heavenly Father, You are holy. You alone are good. And it's Your character that we appeal to, not having earned anything on our own, but we come to You 
And we appeal to You in Your holiness and in Your goodness and in Your character. God, we ask that You be with us now. That we would lay our fears and our struggles and insecurities at the foot of Your throne and say, God, I am Your servant. Let it be to me as You have commanded. God, we pray that our joy and our hope and our peace would not come from the circumstances around us, but that our, our joy would be found in You alone because of what You have done for Your people in the past and in the present and that we know You will do in the future. And so we come to You now and we ask that You would be with Your people to the glory of Your name alone. We pray all of this in the mighty and beautiful and victorious name of Jesus. Amen.